You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. Some of you said this should be an emergency pod. I don't know if, I feel like we had a long day to kind of prepare for this, so I don't necessarily know that this is an emergency pod. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. And ESPN, oh, there were some good ones. Why can't I think of what they are? This is, I'm, n- I'm never prepared for this moment. I was, I was going to say, well, before we got on, I was going to say we should, we should figure out what, which ESPN affiliate you're, <laughs> you're, you're uh, representing today, and I think we, we may have to go back to the well and figure out tomorrow. But, um, but yeah, uh, we, we've done like shocked and like twice now. Yeah, so, I, I'll, need to... I'll go back. I'll go back into my notes. Um, I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. That's right. I represent the whole state and. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Frank Madden. You just heard him. He was the founder of Brew Hoop, and he is my good friend. Frank, how you doing? Well, I'm. I'm first. I'm shocked that you didn't go with "Welcome to Locked On Bud." Um, given sure. now we're going to have all sorts of alliterative uh, jokes, but um, but yeah, I, I I mean it's an emergency pod, Eric. But it's like the most anticlimactic emergency <laughs> pod, given that we've been talking about the Milwaukee Bucks possibly hiring Mike Budenholzer for, I don't know, it feels like weeks. Uh, and I know you tweeted back out a couple links to previous episodes. If people want to hear kind of our previous discussions of Budenholzer, um, you know, feel free to, to check check that. And, and there's lots of stuff over the last few weeks about that, including uh, your uh, podcast from last week with Kale Schwenard, our former friend in Buck's Twitter, who's now a writer for Hawks.com. And so obviously he has a, a unique perspective on uh on on bud and and what what happened with him in uh in atlanta and um i'm sure there will be no shortage of uh additional takes here over uh over the next few days and we'll obviously try to provide as comprehensive view as possible but um i mean yeah no no shocker today you know we we saw the news uh that obviously yesterday that that Tori messina and mike budenholzer interviewed with bucks ownership in new york and then we saw this morning from zach lowe that mike budenholzer was uh, having breakfast with Giannis Adetokounmpo, and then a short while later, Zach confirmed that Chris Middleton was also there. Do you think um, they did so publicly? Like, do you think they went out somewhere in the third ward and and had breakfast? What, what, are, um, your, what are your thoughts? Or maybe I, maybe was it like at a at a hotel? Maybe like uh, yeah, I don't and know. then maybe at that, like you could maybe be a little bit more private there. I'm very curious about it because I feel like. After the whole Giannis Bel Air fiasco, which wasn't something, I feel like anytime he's at a restaurant now, like people are going to take pictures. Yeah, it's kind of hard for Giannis, and I mean Mike Budenholzer could probably, you know, sure, uh, waltz in and out of you know the Arby's in Fredonia without anyone really noticing. But um, for Giannis and Chris Middleton to do so uh, would be pretty difficult. So I, uh, the thing is, I mean, I don't know anyone other than Zach who reported it, and 
obviously Zach wasn't, you know, walking around the third ward looking for <laughs> Bucks basketball players with Bud. So um, I assumed it wasn't like maybe that obvious a place because uh, obviously we didn't hear. But I haven't I haven't seen anyone at least um, claim to have seen uh, seen it happen. So anyway, yeah, it's uh, I'd say interesting, and we'll, we'll talk maybe a bit about obviously the significance of this. I know we've talked a fair bit, and, and you've reported on um, Giannis's involvement and and how much he wanted to be involved and how he wanted to be involved um but uh clearly there there was a, a view that you know they wanted to keep Giannis at least in the loop and, and obviously Giannis and Chris uh the Bucks two best players certainly were in the loop and um not long after that meeting uh you know and again I, I don't think either of us would view those two players as guys who would you know dislike a coach really like they're obviously guys that that you know tend to be um you know, good team guys and, and whatever. And Giannis even like Jason Kidd. So obviously his standards are not that high. Um, <laughs> so that was obviously interesting, but um, not, not long thereafter, obviously Woj reporting uh, that Mike Budenholzer are indeed going to be the Bucks head coach. And I probably, I thought probably the most surprising thing about it was that he's only getting four years on his contract. Um, which again, I know we talked about, especially due to some of the offsets and some of that, like we don't know exactly what his contract's going to look like, but um, I thought, he was at least going to get a five-year contract, especially with Toronto potentially also being in the running here. But um, apparently Toronto did not make him an offer on Monday. And um, obviously, so that took away maybe some of his potential leverage. And here we are. But uh, we don't know the, the number on the contract. But um, obviously, four years. Uh, hopefully, he will see out that the full four years of that contract and then more after that. But um, but yeah, I'd say it was not a, a shocking thing that we are here with Mike Budenholzer being announced to be the next Bucks head coach. But, um, you know, again, obviously you, you never know what these processes, you never know what the Bucks processes for head coach and otherwise, uh, what might happen. And I'd say this was, um, not unpredictable, but, um, you know, still probably, you know, regardless of, regardless of how much you like Mike Budenholzer as a coach, I'd say I breathe this worthy of a sigh of relief, just that this was like a normal, seemingly functional process to get to get yeah. him here, um, which, again, for the Bucks is, is not insignificant. It was not a given. Uh, no. Thinking about last summer uh, and how all of that could go down. And it, it was just kind of an interesting day because obviously Zach reported that. I don't even know. I think that was noonish today, um, somewhere around there. And then. I got to say, I'm a little bit disappointed because when Zach first reported Giannis, it was like, okay, Giannis is there. And then he reported Chris. I was kind of hoping that this whole process would hold out long enough that Zach would just give a new player once an hour. And eventually we'd get to like DJ Wilson was actually at the kids table and he ordered the Mickey Mouse pancakes. And like, I was hoping that that could be an ongoing bit for the rest of the day, but uh, alas, that did not occur. And uh, I don't know. It was just, um, I think there's some interesting stuff in there. I, I thought just four years for Budenholzer was interesting to me just because we had talked about kind of planting that seed that, you know, Buck's ownership and the governor's seed and, uh, oh, Toronto's also interested and all these things. And it just felt like we were building to a spot where it would be a five-year deal. Like there would be some level of security uh, that whatever coach was hired would be able to obtain because – 
of some of that mass uh, and, and some of uh, the hiring practices from last summer. I thought that would kind of be something that that would be used to you know create greater leverage, and maybe four years was creating gr- greater leverage. I'm not really sure what uh, the starting point on that conversation would be, but I I, for, I was thinking probably five years uh, going into this, and and on top of that, we didn't even mention or you mentioned it briefly, but all the stuff with Atlanta and how um, how it's been reported by the Atlanta Journal Constitution that it will be kind of offset now that he has that $14 million come or the 13 over 13, not quite 14 that he's going to get for the next two years. And that money shrinks for the Hawks as someone else pays Budenholzer. So if the Bucks pay him $5 million next year, let's say, then the Hawks only have to pay him $2 million. Um, and, and I thought there might be – I'm wondering if why that – this whole process took a little bit longer today um, and and why this didn't end up leaking as earlier in the day was maybe some of that stuff where they were working through like, okay, well, if the Hawks are only paying that paying or if the Hawks are paying the seven million for this year, well then, you know, what is it fair for you you to pay? Do you have to pay over the top of that? Like I figured there would probably be some stuff there. So I'm curious if that kind of lengthened out the process. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was, I've mentioned in the past, uh, I think Giannis has made it clear that he likes to be informed of the situation, but I don't know if he necessarily wants to be making decisions, if that makes any sense. that he, I think maybe he was a little bit surprised by the Jason Kidd decision, that maybe it snuck up on him and there wasn't uh, a long enough period of time there where he would have been comfortable with, you know, okay, you gave me five hours of heads up. Okay, now Jason Kidd's gone rather than just uh, the way it's told now, just the hour or so um, where that happened. And that's why I kind of thought the Middleton and Giannis stuff was interesting because the way Adrian Wojnarowski reports it, and I'll just read straight from his report, the Bucks wanted the two players, especially at Adetokounmpo, the franchise star, to have a sense of the pr- prospective next Bucks coach and encouraged the players to sit down with Milwaukee's preferred candidate before the organization extended a formal offer, league sources said. It is a relatively unusual move in a head coaching search, but it clearly refre- reflects the Bucks' determination to make Adetokounmpo and fellow forward Middleton feel a part of the process. And I guess I was just interested by that because, one, it is, as Woj said, relatively unusual, and two, I would have thought, okay, guys, we are and, – and maybe it did happen this way where it was, guys, we're getting ready to make this offer to Mike Budenholzer. How about you meet with them while we figure out the details or, or whatever may have happened. But it, it was just interesting to hear that the formal offer hadn't been extended and then they had had this meeting beforehand. Like I, I just thought that was maybe a bit of an interesting power dynamic there and, and just kind of – letting Giannis and and to a lesser extent Chris uh, even though they're both there I think Giannis is kind of the priority that that you're letting them know how much you mean to the organization and how much they wanted you to be a a part of this process yeah and I I mean it's it's tough to say right I mean obviously the the way road reported it certainly seemed that there was you know not just I, I mean it's kind of hard to tell like how much of it was sort of a courtesy thing given like you would not expect Giannis and, and Chris to stand in the way of anything anyway yeah. um, and you know how much they were really waiting on versus like assuming that obviously it would go fine um, 
but yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And again, I think um, you know, as you said, I don't think Giannis wants the Bucks coaching hire to be on him. <laughs> you know, like no. I don't think he wants to like be like like all right, you gotta you gotta make the hire. I mean, it, you know, but it was more of a I think kind of courtesy thing and just making sure that you know there was alignment there. And, and as I mentioned, you know, Daryl Morey talked a bit about a couple years ago when they hired Mike D'Antoni in Houston. Um, it wasn't like. Harden was like officially signing off, but there was kind of a seemingly sort of maybe an informal um, sort of checkpoint with with Harden to make sure like, hey, you know, you you've worked with him through Team USA stuff. Like, are you good with this? And it was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah. fine. Um, not a like, uh, you know, you have to you have to sign off on this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine there's veto pick, power. You know? Like, I don't yeah. I, I can't imagine. Yeah. So um, that that's all I think interesting, but again, I I don't think it's I don't read anything really negative into it. Um, again, you don't want to put that like a ton of pressure on uh, on Giannis or Chris, but I think it's a positive thing that that those guys are included. And again, I mean, you know, people ha- I think on Twitter were saying, oh, Jabari Parker not involved. It's like, well, Jabari Parker is under contract, um, and he's not not yeah. obviously he's a he's not nearly as good as those two, um, and b he's not under contract right now. So you know, I mean. It, we would be pretty strange if you had also a guy who isn't under contract who's a restricted free agent also, you know, be meeting and then, you know, whatever. It's like I'll be honest have... with you, Frank. I didn't have that thought. Well, no, I didn't. But some people on Twitter were like, oh, well, like, oh, they didn't invite Jabari. And it's like, well, I understand whatever. some people had that thought. I'm telling yeah. you, though, I think yeah. it's important to note no, that no, I definitely did not have that thought. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And if you have a Jabari, then like, who else are you inviting? Right. I mean, you know, <laughs> like um, I said, so anyway. it's going to be a long table. If, if Jabari's yeah, getting the table. invite, it's going to be a long table. All right. So I, I guess one thing I wanted to get into, Frank, is we, uh, as you mentioned, we've talked about Boonholzer for, I don't know, three hours at this point, probably. Like if you combine <clears throat> all of the podcasting that we've done over the last two weeks from the moment that Budenholzer became an option and became a rumored option. Like from that moment, I feel like we've talked about, we've talked about him a lot. So now that he is actually going to be the next Milwaukee Bucks coach, what are you feeling? Because uh, I know, and and maybe I was a bit more skeptical than you were of him. um, But I guess where, where is your head at at this moment? Thinking that, you know, Mike Budenholzer is going to be the coach that, I mean, barring something that goes terribly wrong, the person that takes you up through Giannis's Supermax extension deadline, the maybe the yeah. future, like how, where is your head at thinking about the next three years? And, and obviously this is a four-year contract. So let's say the next four years of Mike Budenholzer as the Milwaukee Bucks head coach. Um, I mean, sort of macro relief, um, probably more relieved and comfortable than excited, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I think whether you're hiring a coach or signing a free agent or, you know, drafting, uh, uh, someone in the first round, I mean, there are obviously different perspectives you can take as far as, are you taking a home run swing, which maybe has higher rate of failure but has more upside or you know do you go for a safer option are you trying to sort of you know minimize your downside sort of you know failure avoidance you know there's different approaches obviously that you can take to this and i think you know one of the prevailing sentiments has been well the bucks can't screw this up right this sort of a failure avoidance sort of idea and i i would think i think it's important to note that that is different than maximizing your championship odds um, now it's very possible that 
you hire a person who could potentially do both, right? I mean, if you, if you hit pick the best the best coach that you you know that you could have gotten, then then you're doing both, obviously. But you don't know that, right? You don't you know you can't be 100 percent sure. Um, so I think from the, especially from the outside, like not knowing kind of how these different you know people interviewed and what they said, you know, Budenholzer was always felt like kind of a safer choice, right? Because we've seen him have a very high peak in terms of you know winning 60 games and going to the conference finals um, in a, a couple years back with again and I know that your perspective was that, that hey that was a really talented team and, and I agree I mean it was talented but I mean has there been a team that has won 60 games that like had a like worse sort of top-end talent than than that Hawks team I mean granted I know this is the the spring of Al Horford but um, but in general I mean it's not that they were like good it's, I mean they won 60 games like you know, I don't think anybody would have expected 60 wins from from that specific group of players, and so there's there was obviously a high peak um, relative to I think the talent level, and um, you know in general they were pretty good overall. They continued to win games thereafter. They never kind of got back to that level, and obviously they lost some players over the years. Um, and again, like you know this past season, kind of difficult to judge given that they obviously shifted into sort of tank rebuild mode. So um, again, I think the fact that we saw a high peak plus. Um, you know the Hawks University stuff, uh, a fairly, um, a fairly pos- you know, a fairly uh, positive, you know, set of results from players coming in. You know, both rook- you know young players as well as uh, young veterans who signed, like the Damari Carrolls, the Kent Bazemore's, guys who dramatically increased their value under Bud. And and again, there's you know a list of um, you know look at a, guy- a bunch of the guys there. Uh, I was reading the Brew Hoop comment section on the post. Um, you know from from um, our friend Adam Paris, who wrote it up, you know, and I forget who who kind of did a quick survey, but you know, basically, you look at all of the kind of key players from the sixty win Hawks team or the the you know the Bud era Hawks. Pretty much all of them had their best basketball under Budenholzer in Atlanta, whether it was Paul Millsap or you know, arguably Horford as well. He certainly, you know, what he's done in this playoffs is is obviously on a different level. But um, you know, whether it's T. Corver, et cetera, Damari Carroll, like lots of guys just maxed out under Budenholzer, and as we've talked about, that is essential for any team especially one um that has limited cap flexibility like the bucks you have to make the most of the guys that are the role players on your roster and that was obviously you know uh, a very stark difference between the celtics and the bucks in that first round series if the bucks get consistency from like anybody other than and chris uh they they win that series most likely and um and so that that's obviously a pretty important thing so um so yeah i mean again like you know, are we going to look back five years from now and say Budenholzer was the absolute best coach from that group that was available? You know, not just the guys they entered, the people they interviewed, but also, you know, other people they didn't interview. Um, again, it's like the draft. Odds are someone else behind you that you didn't that you didn't pick uh, ends up being better. Or, you know, maybe it's partially driven by circumstance, whatever. But um, but again, like I think from a process standpoint, like from a you know, is this a comp- you know, a, a good hire? I think it is. Um, will Mike Budenholzer, you know, lead the Bucks to the promised land? Well, that's a lot harder, and that <laughs> that's not just up to Mike Budenholzer, right? I mean, that's going to be driven by a lot of things, including, you know, the front office, ownership, roster, um, you know, injury luck. A lot of things are going to determine whether Mike Budenholzer ultimately succeeds or fails, and you know. I don't know what the percentage of coaches is that lasts beyond, you know, maybe five or six years. I'm, I'm guessing it's extremely low in the NBA. Um, 
but you know, a lot of times that's kind of your best scenario. If a guy, if a guy lasts seven, seven or eight years, um, then he probably did very well. And, um, again, the, the pops, uh, and you know, uh, other guys who, who've lasted a long time the, you know, like a Rick Carlisle, guys like that, um, those tend to be the exception. So you can only hope that, that Budenholzer kind of establishes himself in that way. And, you know, culturally, I think certainly he showed, um, that, you know, he's got that Spurs pedigree and, and it seemed like there was a good culture in Atlanta, but look, Atlanta, you know, kind of went sideways. They obviously had a lot of turmoil in their front office and they obviously now went in a different direction. So, um, I don't think you can ignore that. And I don't think you can ignore the possibility that, you know, one of those, you know, the next Brad Stevens could have been out there uh, in the assistant rank somewhere. And, um, you know, odds are that that's not bud. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a positive thing, I think, but, um, I, I, like I said, I don't think there were, you know, with a coaching hire and all the uncertainty that comes with it, I, I never want to say it's anything is a home run because, um, fundamentally, you know, a coach can only do so much and we can only sort of really read so much into a coach from the outside. So, um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, I'm, I think it's a huge upgrade, uh, on what we had the last few years. Um, but, uh, you know, we will see how quickly, you know, sort of Bud can instill, hopefully, the, the kinds of things that, that we saw in Atlanta and hopefully the results follow very quickly. I know it's one thing that I had said, uh, I mean, throughout this entire process, but I think what is most exciting about this pro uh, about this hire is the fact that I doubt that I'll feel that the bucks are being actively hurt by their coaching. Yeah. Like, and that's been a big thing the last few years where it, it would always feel like, and it didn't even matter what time of the season was. It didn't matter if it was at the start of the season. It didn't matter if it was in the playoffs. It, it didn't. It just didn't. It, it didn't even matter if no games were were happening. If it was summer league or if it was the NBA draft, like everything you would think about. Like, like I go back to last year's selection of DJ Wilson, and that night thinking like, man, DJ Wilson is not that good of a, a rebounder. That seems like someone that would go in Jason Kidd's doghouse. Well, he went in Jason Kidd's doghouse, and he did not come out. And again, that might just mean DJ Wilson's a bad basketball player, and he won't ever be good. But those were the types of things that you would think about. Or even a few summers back, like the summer where they signed uh, Dali and Toledovic, people were saying, well, you know, Steph Cur- or, excuse me, Seth Curry's out there, uh, Dwayne Dedman. Like, those could be guys that you could go after on short deals. And it's like... Yeah, th- those could be guys, but what happens the first time Seth Curry doesn't execute on defense? Is he banished from the rotation? And largely, that was the case with guys. And it, it was just, you were always thinking of, and I mean, we did this on the podcast and we did this as we wrote stuff at Brew Hoop. Like, you were always thinking of ways that things could get screwed up, if that makes any sense. Like, <laughs> How is it that never trust the Bucks? Yeah, maybe maybe like, we can retire that at some point in the future. Yeah, you know, never trust the Bucks. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would be great. And, and like that was always what you're thinking. Like, okay, well, man, Mirza Talevich is putting up great numbers, but oh man, I don't know if he's playing good enough defense for Jason, and uh, he's on the bench. And there was just always those things where you never felt like guys were were being used in the way that they needed to be used, and they weren't being put in situations to succeed and to me that was kind of the biggest thing with this coaching hire which uh, i mean that's a low bar that that's a very low bar that i feel like almost no matter who they would have hired 
I feel like I would be saying this during this podcast tonight. Like I would be saying, well, you know, I, I don't think they're actively going to be hurt by their coaching anymore. So this is good. But the fact that I am saying this, I think tells a very important story about this Milwaukee Bucks team. Like if you're wondering why they underachieved for the last few years, I think you can point pretty squarely to coaching. That was a problem over these years. And again, there was other problems, but to me, that's been a big one. So now that they're not actively hurt by that, I I think you have to be positive that they will get better next year. But then to think about Boonholzer specifically, like there's a number of things that I think I'm uncomfortable with. Like, I don't, I don't love that his defense has given up so many threes over the years. And again, I understand how successful they've been. And I also understand that maybe that's just some conditioning that I've gone through uh, with Jason Kidd and how many three-pointers that they gave up. But to see that again is always, you know, just something where just a little bit worried about it. And and that doesn't make me totally comfortable. So that's something where it's just like, oh, that's, that's not awesome. And when you look at the defensive rebounding for the Hawks under Bud, also not great. And Again, that's something that the Bucks have really struggled with. So like this is why there was parts of me that thought Clifford might be a better option because the things that the Bucks struggled with, Clifford was going to, I mean, in his five years in uh, Charlotte, he took care of. Boonholzer has had those questions but still found success. So uh, I think there's plenty of questions that I still have. But uh, as I'm now sitting here talking about this, I just kind of feel like the fact that I think – I think Mike Boonholzer is competent. I think he's a good coach. Like, I think some of those things can work through it. And um, we'll see. I know Zach Lowe tweeted out immediately after the the news broke that, you know, Bucks fans, uh, Boonholzer is adaptable. And he went from one of the most aggressive defenses to a very conservative scheme this year. And, like, again, that's that's comforting to know that he's adaptable. They also suck this year. So, like, I get it. Like, the schemes changed, but also the schemes just might have changed because they sucked. So, like, there's there's still something, um, you know, I kind of want to see and see what kind of tactics and strategy that they go through. Um, but overwhelmingly, I, I think you have to feel good with having a much better tactician in Milwaukee. And, again, I don't know if he's one of the five best coaches in the league, and I don't think that would be a fair expectation to have of just about any coaching hire. But I do think he's a good coach, and I think it'll help immensely in Milwaukee. Yeah, and to uh, just back up what you're saying, so the Hawks this year were 22nd in opponent three-point attempt rate. So that's the percentage of total shots that were three-pointers. Um, and that was kind of a consistent theme throughout his tenure in, in Atlanta, giving up a high percentage um, of, of, of shots were threes. Uh, and, and for reference, the Bucks were actually 10th in opponent three-point rate this year, uh, literally even with the Boston Celtics. They were much uh, better the, this year, the except Warriors. they yeah. just hemorrhaged points at the rim. Like no exactly. one gave up more points at the rim than the Milwaukee Bucks. Exactly. So basically it was like, well, they got really good at closing out, but, you know, guess what? Um, closing out isn't, you know, necessarily the be-all, end-all. Um, if, uh, if it means that you're just getting blown by and, and it, you know, whatever. So, yeah. um, so yeah, it, th- that's a question, obviously, you know, we, he's got different tools in Milwaukee than he had in Atlanta and we'll have to see what they do. Right. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of us have kind of set our hearts on a very, very switch heavy defense, um, because we've seen, you know, teams, especially that play mobile centers succeed in that regard. And, and obviously, kind of how you defend pick and rolls, especially with, 
you know, your centers and fours. I mean, that's, that's basically the kind of one of the primary building blocks of what differentiates sort of teams defensively, like how aggressively do you play it? Um, you know, what do you do on those? And obviously the bucks have been more aggressive. The Hawks have generally been more aggressive. Um, but you know, again, when they had Millsap and Horford, they obviously had the tools to switch more. And I think they did switch more. I know, um, I think, I don't know if it was KL or, yeah. or who mentioned that, you know, that did happen more when they had kind of personnel to match. Um, but again, I mean, you know, you're not going to run the same defense with John Henson as you do Thon Maker. And so personnel is obviously really important. And <laughs> actually, it, just wait, like, that is what the Bucks did. Um, I would advise against it. Um, <laughs> you, the Jason Kidd Bucks should. did do that. Uh, I, I would advise against it. Yeah. Um, and I think the w- one other interesting piece of all this is um, David Alvridge did report that the um, that the uh, the Bucks are likely to see the Hawks assistant staff coming over uh, as part of Budenholzer's arrival. And um, we mentioned the other day Darvin Ham having been the lead assistant, former Buck uh, fan favorite. Darvin Ham has carved out a very nice career as an assistant, including uh, last couple of years as. Uh, Bud's lead assistant in Atlanta. So um, seems likely that Darvin Ham will be returning to Milwaukee, which I'm sure many people will enjoy. And um, obviously the rest of that staff has been, um, you know, noted as as part of uh, the secret to, you know, the player development and, and obviously, you know, what success there has been. Um, that staff has gotten a lot of credit. Now, um, worth noting, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Atkinson was there at leading much of that player development for a couple of years. And now he's been in Brooklyn the last couple of years so he's not part of that story um but again we'll see uh we'll see what happens there and again I I, I a couple of you asked on Twitter I mean I I would be shocked if any of the assistants from last year are back um you know again and uh you know Joe Prunty and coming I mean, their, their contracts expired or certainly Prunty's contract expired when the season ended so that's why he was never fired um and again I I would be shocked I think I mean Prunty and Budenholz are overlapped in San Antonio but Again, I would I would be very surprised if if anybody was back just because, again, I think, you know, we're sort of at the point that probably a clean slate is is best for everyone. And um, again, occasionally you do see like, you know, maybe a young assistant or a development guy stay over. Um, You know, people might remember Josh Oppenheimer carried over from the Drew era to the kid era, although he didn't last very long uh, after Jason Kidd came in. But um, again, likely a brand new staff, likely the likely the group that we saw uh, in Atlanta with uh, with Budenholzer previously. So new new beginnings, uh, both with the head coach and, and overall for uh, for the, the bench. And obviously that's going to you know mean different things for, for especially someone like Giannis and also the young players who have uh, gotten used to probably working a bit with, you know, certain members of the Bucks staff. Giannis obviously with Sean Sweeney, but presumably obviously the, that those things are going to change moving forward. And um, again, you know, I think for, for Giannis, it's got to be onward and upward uh, with uh, with this new staff. And, um, and hopefully hopefully we'll see lots of people in Milwaukee this summer. And um, obviously with the uh, draft starting now, starting draft prep starting now, um, you know, there's there's work to be done for, for Budenholzer as well as the front staff to be part of the uh, the draft process. And I was joking on Twitter the last time the Bucks hired the Hawks coach and had a miss mid first round pick. They ended up getting Giannis Dedekumbo. Um <laughs> lots of people then jumped into my mentions to say like, Oh, and they also, you know, won 15 games and fired the coach a year later. It's like, yes, I realize, I realize I was being facetious. I am not <laughs> expecting the bucks to draft another Giannis purely because they hired a former Hawks coach. But, um, if but that's it is a kind secret of a, though, then yeah. Boonholzer is gone after the year. That's it. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll take it. I'll take Hey, that's fine. If and whoever the Giannis. Hawks had, we're bringing him in. And after that, I, we're bringing the next guy in. 
I, I will happily take a, a Giannis every five years in order to, uh, you know, if it means having to fire the coach after you, that's fine. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah. One thing I wanted to mention with the assistants is I think a lot of people have seen, I think both of us tweet about Darvin Ham and get excited. And one, get excited, like, oh, Darvin Ham, like, you know, that's kind of uh, like a folk here. Like, he was always round, just dunking the crap out of basketballs and delivering ham sandwiches and just being generally awesome. Like people like him and are thinking that. And I think the, the initial reaction to that, the thing you always want to say after that is, Oh, well, you know, like whatever, like some dude that used to dunk on the bucks, like that's like, do I really want him as an assistant coach? Like warm, fuzzy feelings aren't going to get me, Aren't, aren't going to get me wins, right? And uh, one thing I want to make clear is like Darvin Ham is very well respected. Uh, Darvin Ham was on Kevin Arnovitz's list last year for up and coming head coach prospects. And again, we reference that all the time. Eric Benning and I referenced that uh, during our coach conversation. And I know Frank and I have mentioned that before as well. Like Kevin Arnovitz does a ton of research. He polls people all around the league and figures out who the up-and-coming coaches are and Darvin Ham is someone that he put on his list last season so this is someone that's a very good assistant coach and you mentioned Kenny Atkinson being one uh in Mike Budenholzer's first year Quinn Snyder was an assistant coach there as well so like we, we mentioned it I'm not, I'm not even sure earlier this week I think maybe but Mike Budenholzer has already sort of created his own coaching tree um I guess maybe it's a branch off of the the pop tree, I'm not sure 100% how all of these tree analogies work, but maybe a branch with a couple limbs off of it at this a bush, point. Maybe a, a mature bush. <laughs> um, I'm not 100% sure how it works, but I, I think that Atlanta that Atlanta staff is very well respected. And there's a, I'm trying to think, I think it's a New York Times piece from 2015 that kind of breaks down their player development stuff. I might tweet that out um, or you can google that yourself that kind of goes through their player development as well and uh like you mentioned the idea of hawks university so bringing along those coaches feels like something that could be very good for this team and uh, could really help them out as they uh, attempt to figure out what the next step is i think also on top of all those questions the next question that comes about is okay sean sweeney has essentially lived with Giannis atetacumbo for the last two years like they have been inseparable they go to greece spain wherever it is and those two are together working out and i think there's always kind of the initial reaction of okay well we don't want to we don't want to piss Giannis off because like we don't want to get rid of his his coach and someone that he's formed a connection with but i do think that would be something that mike boonholzer may not want like mike boonholzer may have a guy that he believes in as his player development guy his guy that he feels that should be Giannis's guy and i think the major thing to remember is like Giannis is obsessed with basketball he's a total lunatic and wants to get better at all no matter what like that's the only thing he cares about he wants to be a better basketball player he wants to win championships and if there is an emotional connection between him and Sean Sweeney, that's fine. But I think the entire organization and Mike Boonholzer and his coaching staff would say, hey, we get it, but this guy's going to be better for you. This guy is the guy that can take you to the next level, whoever they may choose as that player development guy for Giannis. And I do think, you know, maybe there is something to be said for some fresh ideas. And, you know, he's had Sean Sweeney now for – 
three years probably. I think Oppenheimer was there uh, primarily with Giannis in that first year of kids' tenure. Um, and I, then I think it transitioned to Sweeney for the final three years of yeah, that I tenure. Actually, I actually don't think I, – I, th- I don't think Oppenheimer actually – ever was allowed to do much with Giannis to be honest I think even think when so? Oppenheimer was here my understanding was like when they because they were reworking Giannis's shot even that first that first year I think and my understanding was that like even though Oppenheimer was like the development shot doctor guy like for some reason they Sweeney was there let, the whole time Sweeney and, it, and it probably because kid was or Sweeney was kid's guy and, and Oppenheimer wasn't yeah. and uh, I don't know and again maybe that's why Giannis became a worse shooter <laughs> over over the uh, you know from his rookie year at least percentage wise. Um, so I think certainly uh, fresh blood, fresh perspective. I think it would be a positive thing because again, you know, I mean, okay, Giannis has gotten a lot better. Um, still work to do, and as you said, um, you know, like like a lot of things, a lot of times to grow. You I mean, yeah, you, you can't just hear the same thing over and over again, right? Um, and and certainly, I think you know the Hawks' development. Uh, uh, resume uh, overall you know it's, it's really Giannis and kind of just Giannis it kind of begins and ends with Giannis in Milwaukee as far as like who have they developed that have turned out really well um, you could say Chris Milton a bit you know although really he made his big stride under Larry Drew in that first year um, but uh, but yeah hopefully you know again um, this is a chance for him to get a new perspective and um, you know become an even better player which you know again is uh, uh, a really high bar for a guy who already is an MVP candidate Yeah, I think I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see where they go and kind of how all of that goes down and, you know, maybe who Giannis's new guy is and uh, just try to, you know, figure out exactly how all of this works. And I think that'll be kind of the fun and the excitement of, of the next couple of weeks, the next month, uh, I mean, even into the start of next season as we start to figure some of those things out. So I think it's it's going to be really interesting to, to see how all of this works. One thing I, I wanted to hit on to kind of wrap all of this up was this is a, this is a concern that I, I've voiced as well. And you mentioned it in talking about that 60-win team. And, you know, I've pushed back against saying, you know, that team wasn't that talented and, you know, Boonholzer really did this this miraculous job to get them to, to win all these games. And I've pushed back against that because I think there was a number of talented players on that team. But what there wasn't was a Giannis. Like, a Giannis did not exist on that team. And one, I guess one thing I keep thinking about is I think in – I guess in the game tonight, Houston and Golden State. In Houston, you have a system built upon their stars. Like it is built upon the individual brilliance of James Harden and now this year as they added Chris Paul and Chris Paul. It's built on those two guys and what they create. And when you look at a team like Golden State, they have spectacular offensive talents. They have guys that, I mean, we've never seen someone like Steph Curry before. And I feel as though, you know, when you look at what Steve Kerr has done, they've kind of gone in the opposite direction. Like they don't, they leverage all of their stars, but they don't, the system isn't built on them. It is a system that fits all of those people in and leverages the things that they can do well within that system. But it is more about the system. And I think that's something that I'm curious about with Mike Budenholzer is, is it system-based that, 
leverages Giannis and Chris, or is it a system built on Chris and Giannis, or just Giannis, however you want to think through this? Is it a system built on Giannis that leverages all those other pieces? Because I I think there's an interesting difference in there, and I think there's an interesting dynamic of how you create great offense um, with someone as talented as Giannis Dedekumbo. Yeah, well, and the interesting thing, too, is, I mean, the Bucks were were good with Giannis on the court, right? Um, where, where especially this year, it, it was actually a lot less of an issue last season. But this season, I mean, where the Bucks really died was when Giannis wasn't on the court, right? And they didn't have any answers when Giannis was on the court, was off the court. So I think to max out the the Bucks' potential, it's not just getting the most out of Giannis, but it's also about you know getting um, a culture and a system and a philosophy and and getting buy-in so that you know you can have a lineup without Giannis and still feel like you're not going to get blown off the court, right? Um, and and again, not that you you know job one isn't trying to maximize Giannis because that's you know going to be three quarters of a game uh, <laughs> at least. So that that's sort of job one. But you know how do you kind of build something that um, can also survive when Giannis is on the bench for you know 11 minutes, 12 minutes, however much uh, he's on the bench per game. So um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. And you know the and and I mean, we talked about, I said, you know, that, you know, Giannis's stats may not be appreciably better next year, right? Um, yeah. They were ridiculous this year, right? And and I don't think, you know, he doesn't need to average 30 a game. He doesn't need to be some totally different player statistically to have the Bucks be significantly better. I think so much of it is how do you leverage that to make other people better? And, you know, um, maybe you know, Giannis is already really efficient. Like, I'm sure you can be even more efficient, but, um, you know, again, the, the, the Bucks generally did a pretty good job of making sure that their best players got shots, and that's why they were a pretty good offense already. Um, so I think a lot of it is like, you know, how do you use those guys to make sure that Tony Snell is the best version of himself you can be? Yeah. Um, you know, I, these young guys like DJ Wilson, and you know, certainly he's. <laughs> I probably not that I have a ton of hope for DJ Wilson at this point, um, regardless of who the coach is. But uh, you Thon know, Maker. Thon Maker, yeah. yeah, Thon Maker is the other guy. I mean. I think if you look at, you know, if, if I could say like, you know, if you if you told me like, hey, you can have, you know, Mike Budenholzer's magic delivery uh, or sorry, magic development skills work on, you know, pick one or two guys. I'd probably start with Thon Maker just because absolutely the, the idealized version of Thon is sort of the, you know, the idealized guy to play with Giannis to play in sort of a modern um, stretch five role. Um, the other guy, obviously, I mean, we don't know if Jabari Parker is even going to be here, but clearly Jabari is sort of the other guy who has, you know, probably, you know the, the, I mean, he certainly is more talented in terms of like physical tools and basketball skill than Thon. Um, he's obviously the other guy. Like if you maximize Jabari Parker, then that puts you, I think, in a fundamentally different place um, than than if, you know, you get just sort of the Jabari of the last four years. Um, and then obviously we haven't seen that guy as consistently as we'd like due to injuries and other things. But um but yeah, I think it's just fascinating, right? Like that to me, that is really the the biggest lever that that Mike Budenholzer has to to pull this year in terms of making the Bucks better. Um, it's it's can you get much more out of uh, out of your role players? And um, again, that's that's what great coaches do. They they maximize those role players, and that's what those good teams do. They don't you know they don't die when when Giannis is on the bench, and um, they get other guys to to make the most of the time when when they're out there with Giannis as well. So. It'll be that'll be fun to watch, and and again, I mean, you don't want to apply unrealistic, put unrealistic expectations. But as we were talking about the other day, when we were talking about, um, you know, would Budenholzer prefer Toronto? And you made, you know, the case why 
everything would sort of point in the direction of, of preferring Milwaukee. Um, and, and again, I mean, like if he's a good coach again, like I, I think regardless of what version of this team is back, I, I think it's gotta be a 50 win team as, as your expectation, as your goal, it's gotta be winning a first round playoff series. And, you know, again, like if he does that in Milwaukee, he's, he's a hero. He's a god. <laughs> you, know? you know, I mean, you, you obviously the bar has to be, has to be higher than that. Um, but just in practicality, I mean, again, it's, <laughs> it's been, it's been a long time since any of those things happened. And, um, I think the talent is there to do that, um, with the right tweaking, with the right pieces around them. Um, but again, it's not like you need to go out and get another superstar in order to win 50 games. Right. I mean, this, mm. this is doable. Yeah. I thought this was a year that, I mean, still to this point there, even with Jason Kidd, there were scenarios where I thought 50 wins was quite obtainable. So, uh, we'll see kind of, uh, what they can do, uh, next season. Let's see. I'm trying to, I know I'm not going to have you tomorrow night. So I was trying to think of if there's any topics that I wanted to make sure I had you hit on tonight while I still had you here. Um, cause otherwise it'll have to wait till next week. I don't know when we'll get a press conference. I think we'll have to, to kind of see when, when that will end up being, what do you, uh, I guess does how the bucks went through this. You mentioned the fact that, you know, this was kind of a, a feeling of comfort, uh, a feeling of somewhat of relief. Like, does how all this went down as currently reported and constituted, does it make you feel better about like the front office and how things are going? Were you ever particularly concerned about that uh, with John Horst? Um, do you, I guess with, with Budenholzer in place, one thing I talked about was organizational hierarchy. And I think this certainly upsets that, but does it maybe upset it in a direction that's a good thing? Like does adding a guy like Mike Budenholzer kind of, help steady thing I, I don't know where's your head at there and that'll be the last thing and then we can get you up yeah i mean again like you don't hire mike budenholzer uh, especially when you know you have a really green gm and do that in order to ignore him completely <laughs> in yeah. terms of decision making around players and things like that i mean every successful team incorporates you know the viewpoint of their coaches to some extent at, at a minimum to understand you know what what the view is of the players on the roster, right? I mean, that's that's your best um, scouting of of your own players, right? It has to be from your coaching staff. Um, so again, it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, how that dynamic evolves. Um, again, I I don't know what we don't know exactly what his ambition level is, like what he would have wanted if he you know really wanted to be um, a GM somewhere and a and a coach. Um, especially, you know, that that's hard, right? And I think he saw that. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he was a very good president of basketball operations. If you just judge him by, you know, the moves that were made, certainly they got worse uh, from a roster standpoint. You know, when he had to take that that job over. So, um, you know, maybe part of his mindset is, you know, hey, as long as I'm getting paid well, I'm I'm happy to be sort of, you know, more of an advisor and and having input, but but not having to really carry that burden. Um, but again, we don't know. So I, I think that'll be certainly something we have to watch moving forward. Um, it's obviously, as you pointed out, I mean, it's a, the power dynamic will be interesting for John Horst with, you know, Budenholzer. It's very different than I think it would have been with, you know, Ettore Messina, who we haven't really talked about. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if Messina gets one of the jobs elsewhere. I don't know if he's really a favorite anywhere else at this point. But, um, you know, if he does get a job, clearly he... He impressed the Bucks because he got to yeah. you know the second round and um, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the fact that Bud only got four years, which suggests that they were willing to, I don't know, I'm not going to say they played hardball with him, but, um, it, you know, you would imagine maybe they would have been okay going with Messina as a, as a backup option, right? I mean, if they were, you know, playing hardball with Bud or, or whatever, but again, that's all kind of speculation. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to just sort of see how all this kind of plays out. Um, obviously, the presser will be interesting. We'll see how much Budenholzer tips his hand. Um, you know, it, it was interesting listening to your discussion with KL last week, you know, comments about how Budenholzer kind of was a lot more curt with the media, um, sort of as things, as they got less successful. So we'll see if Happy Bud is more forthcoming about, you know, sort of tactical questions and things like that. Um, I doubt he's going to commit to a switch heavy scheme in his opening press conference, even though I'm <laughs> sure many of us are kind of wondering like, oh, are you going to, what are you, how are you going to handle pick and rolls with Thon Maker? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so uh, we, I, I, again, it's 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 a it's a fun time. It's the summer. All things are possible. The Bucks are undefeated um, for next season, and uh, you know, again, you just sort of hope that you just hope that finally these things come together, and you finally have the right people in the right places. And uh, again, that at a minimum you can maximize this roster, and and obviously if you can make moves around the per- periphery um, to to make it even better, then then that's great. But um, who knows, right? Uh, who knows exactly how things will shake out, but, um, you know, it's, a, I think it's a good day in Milwaukee. You know, it's, it's not a home run day, but it's a good day. I think so too. I think it is a, a day that Bucks fans should be able to get excited about, which I mean, thinking about last summer, I don't know if we, I don't think we said the same thing during our John Horst named general manager, uh, podcast. <laughs> oh, I don't, no, I don't a hundred percent remember, but I don't think we did. So, um, yeah, I do think this is something that, that Bucks fans can feel good about. Um, so enjoy it. We'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow. I'm not a hundred percent sure yet who I'm going to have on, uh, as my guest for tomorrow, but I'll, I'll have someone join me and we can talk a little bit more about Mike Budenholzer and the Milwaukee Bucks. But that is going to be it for tonight. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.